The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Evening, church. How is everyone doing? Praise the Lord. Um, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I have been asked to uh, share a message tonight. So I am honored and privileged to be in the house with you tonight. You know, I, I was praying about what God wants, you know, us to hear and, and, and for me to share. And, you know, I really feel heavily that um, what I'm going to talk about tonight is a very timely word for us. You know, as the children of God, as Christians, um, especially in the time that we are living in, because we are living in some radical times. Would you not agree? Uh, so we're going to be talking about the missional mindset tonight. And, and I think in the midst of these crazy days, crazy times, um, that we are living in some exciting times for the kingdom of heaven. And the sad thing is, I, I don't think many of us realize that. And, and I'll put myself into that category. Um, and some of you may not feel that you're living in exciting times. Because just a few months ago, you found yourselves in the twilight zone, right? Not knowing what was going on. We were in the year 2020, and 2020 caught us all off guard. In fact, many of you probably found yourselves at the end of 2019 kind of dreaming what 2020 would be like. You set aspirations and goals for yourself, both personally and spiritually, and maybe even physically, um, only to find out that a couple of months later, that COVID would show up on the scene. And COVID would literally take your list of goals and aspirations and crumple them up and throw them into the fire pit to be set ablaze. And the only thing that is remaining was the ashes of your list that were you know, fading off into the night sky. And you might ask yourself, how are these exciting times? I mean, I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to survive. And believe me, I was right there with you. You know, 2020 is going to be a year that is going to be remembered. Uh, it's going to be in the history books of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And, and I guarantee you, you know, if you have a grandchild opening up their fifth grade history, year, history book in the year 2060, they're going to open up the table of contents and see a chapter that says the year of the pandemic. Because as we look back upon 2020, we see that the world was literally brought into despair. It wasn't just a, a national thing. It was a global thing. It affected every single person on this planet. It was a year of uncertainty. It was a year of chaos. It was a year of uh, sadness, a year of depression, a year of death. The list can go on and on. And on top of this pandemic, we had the most divided election that I have ever been a part of. It probably was the most divided election in modern day history, and that only proliferated this pandemic. This pandemic was so politicized before, because of what was going on, and now, February 2000, 2021, we now have a president, a new president in office. We, we have a new administration in Washington, and whether you love him or you hate him, whether you agree with his policies or not, uh, I think the one thing that we can all agree upon is that the world as we know it is changing. It's changing. Things are happening. Today, the stage is set 
for being this worldwide transformation. There's something taking place behind the scenes, and I think it's called globalization. Now, I'm not into all of these conspiracy theories. You know, there are well-meaning Christians that, you know, believe in some of these conspiracies, and, you know, I'm not going to say whether they're right or wrong. There is probably some truth to some of these, um, but what I will say is that the Bible prophesies of a future leader that's going to come on the scene. He's the Antichrist, or known as the beast. And when he shows up, people are going to love him. People are going to think that he's their, their savior. And this, this man is going to end up controlling the worldwide government, the worldwide economy, the worldwide religious system. And I don't want to get into too much of that. Um, but what I do want to share is a quick story that's connected with this idea of globalization or, or this idea of a one world economy and how it serves sort of as an intro into tonight's message. So with this you know, future one world economy, this, this future one world system, you know, there seems to be the need for a one world currency. Because, um, you know, let's just say, for example, if you want to uh, plan a trip to go to Mexico, right? One of the first things that you want to put on that list is you want to take your US dollar and go convert it to the Mexican peso to exchange what you have, your former currency, for their currency. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to purchase anything in Mexico. They want to accept pesos. And the same goes if you go to Israel or France or China or Japan. You have to exchange this currency. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, verse 17, John talks about only being able to buy and sell if you receive the mark or the name of the beast on your forehead or on your hand. Um, and I believe John is hinting at a one-world currency or, 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 or a, a system of one-world currency within this one-world economy. And, and I believe something that we hear about a lot today, especially if you are privy to the financial reports or if you follow the market, are these things called cryptocurrencies. How many of you heard of cryptocurrencies? You know, so I've been kind of intrigued about these lately. Um, but I, I truly believe that cryptocurrencies are paving the way for this one world currency. Because this new form of currency, uh, it's not like the dollar, it's not like the yen, it's not like the peso. The, this currency is it's decentralized and, and it's unregulated, meaning that it, 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 there's no overseeing governing body for this cryptocurrency. Um, and, and it's a digital asset. It's a virtual. I don't understand it fully. It has to be mined on a digital platform and used on a blockchain. But you know, wh whatever it is, it, it's popular these days. Um, and 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 the first decentralized cryptocurrency was released in 2009. And I'm sure we all are familiar with this one. It's the mothership of the cryptocurrencies, but it's called Bitcoin. Have you guys heard of Bitcoin? Um, so I. I heard this story. I want to share it really quick. You know, I'm, I'm not able to confirm it. I looked on Google, and, and I found a couple of the stories that are similar, but they're not exact. But, but the numbers that I'm going to use in this story are accurate. Um, so the story goes something like this. In, in 2009, when Bitcoin was being first, first released, uh, there was this guy, Tim, that you know, was hearing about it. Um, there was a lot of information out there. People thought it was a scam, a Ponzi scheme. It's not backed by anything. And there was another camp that they were excited. They, they thought that this potentially had the, 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 the power of being 
the future currency that we all use. So this guy, Tim, who you know, had some money that he wanted to invest in it. He had $100, and you know, $100 isn't a lot. I mean, it's not a life-changing amount of money. Um, and, and as he was thinking about investing into Bitcoin, uh, he had to assess the risk versus the reward. And, and at that time, Bitcoin was going for about 10 cents. So for $100, he would have been able to buy about 1,000 Bitcoins. He ultimately did not pull the trigger and did not invest that $100 into Bitcoin because for him, the risk of losing $100 outweighed the reward of the, 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 the investment if it were to appreciate. And that's fair enough, right? That was his decision. That was his money. He worked hard for it. It wasn't worth it. He didn't want to take the risk. He could have taken that $100 and gone to the local Starbucks and bought a month's worth of coffee. That was his decision. But get this. If Tim did pull the trigger and invested that $100 in Bitcoin, and have you guys seen that commercial where there's a, like a little toaster oven? It was, you know, 10 years ago where they put the food in, set it and forget it, right? Set it. I just aged myself maybe because none of you guys are like, what are you talking about? But if Tim just put this $100 in and he set it and forget it, do you know how much money he would be sitting on today? I, I checked before I came out here and the going price of Bitcoin, he would have turned that $100 investment, if he let it ride over the past 12 years, into about $50 million from $100. It would have turned into $50 million. That's a 500,000% return on investment. That kind of return on investment is just mind-boggling to me. I think that beats our standard savings account, right? at 0.003%. But I share that story because if that's not a story of a missed opportunity, I don't know what is. I mean, money speaks loud and clear. We all, you know, probably want a little bit more money, right? You know, so it's like, man, $50 million he missed out on because he didn't invest that 12 years ago? None of us want to miss out on that kind of opportunity. Now, it's time for a disclaimer, okay? I am not a financial advisor, so please don't go and invest your money in any cryptocurrencies or stocks because of what I said. You know, it's your money. You do with it what you want to. Um, but I am a pastor, so I, I want to kind of change gears here for a bit and talk about a missed opportunity that holds uh, far more consequences than missing out on earthly treasures, even though 50 mil would be nice. I am talking about the missed opportunity that could lead to the eternal destination of a person's soul. Remember this season that we're living in with COVID, with the, the recent elections, with the civil unrest, this season is a great season of gospel opportunity because the world is broken right now. The world is wrecked. The, the world uh, is hopeless. People are depressed, and they need hope. They need salvation. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 35, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. 
So Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and uh, forgive me for this long intro, but Lord, we, we want to come to the foot of the cross tonight, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you would, uh, you know, take whatever we have that may be hindering us from hearing your word, God, that you would remove it, Jesus. We want to hear from you. So I pray by your spirit that you would speak personally to each one of us, God, that we would hear it, that we would receive it, but that we would not just be hearers only, deceiving ourselves, but that we would be doers and we would put it into action. We would apply it to our lives because we want to leave this place tonight looking more like your son, Jesus. So we expect you to speak tonight, Lord, and we want to obey Jesus. So please come and fill this time with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to take a look at real quick is a passage of scripture in the book of Acts. Um, Pastor Ray is going through the book of Acts uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, We're going to read through about seven verses just for context. And then I want to um, just pick out a couple of verses and talk about these verses. So if you will, follow along with me. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as has been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They're on their first missionary journey, and they're entering into this city uh, called Antioch of Pisidia. It was a different Antioch than they were commissioned from that we read about earlier in the chapter. Um, This was another city called Antioch. It was in the area of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. But as was Paul and Barnabas' custom, when they went into a city, they, they went into the synagogues on the Sabbath to preach about Jesus, to share the gospel about Jesus. And as they were sharing this gospel, it says that many of the Jews and the Gentiles were being saved and converted. And on this particular day, Luke here records that almost the whole city came out to hear them. They wanted to hear them preach about Jesus. And as they did this, the religious leaders became furious. They were envious at this great crowd because, in fact, this is what they prided themselves on. This is what they labored for. This is what they worked for to study. And they wanted to reach great crowds like this, but they were never able to. And look, here comes this itinerant preacher. And he's drawing these huge, massive crowds. You see, this preacher really wasn't anything special to look at. You know, Paul definitely wasn't the David Beckhams of preachers, or he wasn't the the, uh, Brad Pitts of preachers. Paul probably fell more into the category of 
the Danny DeVitos. He was rather interesting. Um, but God still used him in mighty ways. And when I look around this room, there's hope for all of us, right? I mean, I'm up here. God's using me. So there's hope. But secular, extra-biblical historians, they tell us uh, what the Apostle Paul looked like. Many of them say that, and this might come as a shock to you, because you never probably pictured the Apostle Paul like this, but they say the Apostle Paul was probably 4 foot 11 in height. Now, that's not very tall, right? I mean, I'm 5'8 and a half, 5'8 and three quarters on a good day. You could just call it 5'10. Um, but this guy was 4'11. And, and they said he had a, a rather large head with bulging eyes, and he had a stooped posture. That was the Apostle Paul. And, um, you know, this little Jew, respectfully, <laughs> he began to preach about the Messiah. And Luke says that the whole city wanted to come and hear him. Again, there was nothing special about the way he looked for people to want to come and listen to this guy. And at the sight of this, the religious leaders were filled with rage. And they resisted Paul. They, they contradicted Paul because Paul had just told them, you guys don't even find yourselves worthy to inherit eternal life. And because of that, we're going to turn to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to them. You see, this was God's plan. This was God's strategy. They were to go into every city and preach to the Jews first because the Jews were God's chosen people. They were the, the, the chosen, the covenant people of God. But since the Jews rejected Jesus, Paul and Barnabas would then turn and be a light to the Gentiles. And I want us to, to focus on this verse, verse 47. Luke says, for the Lord so commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. He quotes Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 here. You see, this is God's strategy both then and now. And it wasn't just for Paul and Barnabas. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Paul did not reach the ends of the earth during his life. He certainly tried to, but there were plenty of more people that needed to be reached by the time that Paul was martyred in Rome. So this command was not only for Paul and Barnabas. This command is for you and for me. It's for us. We are called to be light to the Gentiles, a light to this world. You see, this is Christ's mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. And we are instruments that God desires to use to bring about his kingdom. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, he says, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Listen to that. Isn't that a humbling reality? That God wants to use us, you, in building his kingdom. Now, how is Christ's mission going to be accomplished? How is this going to happen? How is this going to come to fruition? Well, look at verse 49. We read past this, and we don't, sometimes we're like, we don't, we can just read past it. But I, but I want us to, to look at what it's saying here. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. 
That is how it's done. That is how it's going to be accomplished. This right here that we just read is mission in action. How was God's kingdom advancing here? Was it Paul and Barnabas going through every city and town and village one after the next, spreading the word of God? No. This was all happening while Paul and Barnabas were still in Antioch doing ministry there. What does that tell us? That tells us that there's only one plausible answer and that the spread of the word of God was happening because the saints of God, as they were converted, as they believed on Jesus, they were burdened by the spirit of God to go and to share the message of the cross. I mean, that is a beautiful thing to see, that the non-clergy, they were sharing the gospel. They were sharing the gospel, one stranger to another, one neighbor to another, one coworker to another, one friend to another friend. You see, this is God's master plan. It doesn't need alterations. It hasn't changed. It hasn't been modified since the time of Paul. It's the same exact plan today, that you and I are instruments of God's mission to bring people into the fold. And this can only be accomplished if we have a missional mindset. So what does it mean to think with a missional mindset? First, we need to um, broaden our thinking from a more exclusive internal perspective of the church to, to an external perspective of the church. Uh, in other words, we need to understand that the church is all about the sheep. It's about the sheep. It's about the sheep that are inside the fold, and it's about the sheep that are outside the fold, the lost sheep. You see, many churches today in the Western culture, they will only focus on the former. They, they, they will only focus on ministering to those that come to church, to the saved. They spend millions of dollars setting up programs and you know, building buildings to, to serve and to minister to the saved, which is good. That's necessary. I'm not talking bad about that. The writer of Hebrews uh, writes in verse uh, 24 and 25 of chapter 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So yes, this is important. It's vital for the health of the church. But listen, it should not be done at the expense of reaching the lost. We should never, ever do this at the expense of reaching, not reaching the lost. John chapter 10, verse 14 through 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, Jesus here is talking about the sheep that are inside the fold, the Jewish people, right? Uh, but he's also talking about this other kind of sheep, the sheep outside the fold, which consists of the Gentiles, you and me, and that Jesus still needed to bring them in. That was from Jesus' own 
mouth. That's the mission of Jesus. Did Jesus accomplish that mission in his life while he was here on earth? No, he didn't. In fact, by the time that Jesus left this earth and went back to the Father, he had a predominantly Jewish church, a predominantly Jewish following, and it wasn't that, it wasn't that large. Um, but there were still sheep that needed to be brought into the fold. And this is where I want to kind of land the plane for us um, and, and sort of put some application on this. And my question for us, my question for you, is how are these sheep going to be brought in? Who is going to go out and find these lost sheep? The answer is, it's you. It's me. God wants to use us to find these lost sheep. Christ is still on mission. And he is bringing in the lost sheep into the fold through us, through you and through me, the church, his body. And our church and our job as believers is to care for the sheep within the fold. That's important, right? The believers that are coming to church, but also to be searching for the sheep that are outside the fold, those that are still lost, yet to be found, yet to believe. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. In some mysterious way in God's sovereignty, he chooses to build his church by his church, the body of Christ, you and me, the literal hands and feet of Jesus. So where do you come into play? Where do we come into play? Remember the title of this message is The Missional Mindset. And if you're a believer in Jesus tonight and you don't have the missional mindset, which really is the mind of Christ, what Paul exhorts us to have, the mind of Christ, then I would say that something's wrong. If you do not possess this missional mindset, if you are a believer and have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and the things of the Lord don't concern you, because when he was here, he was about the Father's business. And if that is not a concern to you, something is wrong, you need to adopt this mindset. Because a missional mindset is key for bringing in the kingdom of God. This is something that is needed to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples and to bring them into the fold. And I'm not just speaking to you guys here. I'm speaking to myself <laughs> more than anything. I think this message is for me. Um, but lastly here, I want to note really quick that the missional mindset does not think that the responsibility of reaching the lost sheep only lies with the ordained minister or the pastor. There are a lot of people, and many of us go wrong, you know, and I think a lot of churches in the Western culture go wrong in this point. You know, they think that that is your job, right? You're the pastor. You, you get paid to do this, right? That you, you have the gift mix. This is your calling, not mine. 
And do you know what my answer to that would be as a pastor in the PG version, of course? <laughs> it would be, you got to be kidding me. You need to be quiet. <laughs> because that is the furthest thing from the truth. I would even go so far as to say that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because if there's one thing that the enemy wants to do, since he can't take away your salvation, um, I mean, you know that, right? Maybe many of you need to hear this, that your salvation is secure. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are secure in the hands of Christ. That you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the redemption of the purchased possession, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, and that there is nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God, which, in Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans chapter 8. Amen for those verses, right? Amen for those truths. So if the enemy can't take that away from you, if salvation is off of the table, the one thing that the enemy wants to do to you as a believer is to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. He wants to put you on the shelf. And he has done just that if this is your mentality. If you don't think that you have a part to play, the devil is winning. If you think that the job of reaching the lost is reserved for the clergy only, is reserved for the pastoral staff, then you need a paradigm shift in your thinking. Because let me tell you, if the future of the church is left to only ordain ministers and pastors, then we're out of luck. I am going to throw in the towel. I'm going to put in my two weeks. Because if it were up to us, the church would be left weak and anemic. Listen, Pastor Ray, he's a magnificent teacher. He's been used to influence the lives of tens of thousands of people. But you know what? Pastor Ray cannot reach the world. Pastor Sean, Pastor Daniel cannot reach the world. I cannot reach the world. It is time to rise up. It is time to start seeing yourself as a minister of the gospel. This is what Jesus calls us to. You all out there need to get off the bench. I see many of you are comfortable on the bench. Get off the bench and get out into the game. Start being a part of God's kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 26, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You all have spheres of influence that we as ordained ministers will never be able to touch. Do you understand that? That you have spheres of influence, your community, your network, that we will never be able to reach out to. A few years ago, there was a, a question, a survey done with 750 laymen who were not Christians. And they, they asked him this question. If you guys wanted to talk about spiritual matters, who would you want to talk to these things about? Would you want to talk to um, a family member? 
Or would you want to talk to a clergyman, a pastor? Would you want to talk to an evangelist? Or would you want to talk to another layperson in your same field of work, your same line of business? And 91% of those that were asked this question said, I would want to talk to a layperson in the same line of business that I am in. That is huge. That is huge because walls immediately go up when I'm talking to somebody, and they, found, they find out that I work for a church, and then I'm a pastor, right? And then they just kind of close off. They don't want to talk about anything that has to do with the spirit or God or the afterlife. But you, as a layperson, have a great opportunity to reach the 91%, those that would never talk to a pastor, those that would never come to church to figure out what life is all about. You see, I hate the word layman. It kind of it sounds lame to me, right? Because you as a child of God are anything but a layman. Remember that, that little Jew with the big head? You know, he gave us a title. What title is that? He says, you are an ambassador of God. Somebody who represents God. Do you know we have we have you know these summits you know uh, that these different ambassadors of different countries come together and they they talk to each other and they uh, they represent that country. If there's an ambassador for China, they come and they represent that country. Paul says in verse five, chapter twenty. I'm sorry, chapter five, verse twenty of Second Corinthians. Now then. We are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this. As though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. That is our calling. And as your outreach pastor here at Maranatha Chapel, I want to take this opportunity real quick to commission each one of you, even you watching online, listening on the radio. I want to commission you and deputize you and send you out as an ambassador for Christ, because that's what you are. Do you realize that? That you are an ambassador for Christ. You are a living testimony, known and read by all men. You don't need a piece of paper that says you're ordained. All you need is the word of God. And the word of God says you are a minister of the gospel. So be missional. Be intentional in your living. This is having a missional mindset. Take every opportunity that you can find to walk with people, to love on people, to get to know people, to, to, to weave in the gospel of Jesus to weave in the story of redemption, to share your testimony, how you became a Christian. Do you know how powerful your testimony can be to somebody? If you don't believe me, just try to share it this week and see what God does. See how many doors open up. Because this is what people need. They need hope. They need redemption. They need salvation. And if I can call the worship team to Head on out here as I close up. Um, you know, Pastor Ray, this past week, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, discipleship is caught, not taught. 
Think about that. Discipleship is caught, not taught. Now, many of us pray for revival, right? We, want, we all want revival to happen. We want revival to come in California, across this great nation, across this world. We want people to come to Jesus. But this is how revival is going to happen. People are going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the good news of Jesus. They're going to be converted. They're going to commit their lives to Christ. And then the Spirit of God is going to burden their hearts to share Jesus with other people. They, 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 this is the missional mindset. I can't keep this gift inside of me. I have to tell other people. And then it's going to catch on like wildfire. It's going to continue to spread exponentially. It's going to grow, and the gospel will spread. The word of the Lord will spread. And guess what? That is when we will have revival. But listen, you have to do your part. Because the one thing that you can't do in heaven that you can do here on earth is share the gospel. Think about that. When you get to heaven, there's no reason to share the gospel. This is the only time that you can sow seeds to the gospel. So now is the time to let your light so shine. And as you leave tonight and you walk out of this building, you go through those doors, I want you to know that you are stepping out into the mission field. You are all missionaries, domestic missionaries. You are stepping out into the mission field. There are a lot of people outside these walls that are hurting. There are a lot of people outside these walls that are broken, that, that need hope. They need salvation. And guess what? You can bring it to them. Verse 47, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. There are a lot of missed opportunities, like Tim's missed opportunity at $50 million. <laughs> We're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities in this lifetime. But may they never be missed opportunities for the sake of the gospel, at the expense of a person's soul. Because the truth is, most of my family, they're not saved. Some of your family members may not be saved. Some of your friends may not be saved. Their lives <laughs> may, be, may be depending upon you to fulfill your calling as a minister of the gospel. Let me leave you with this one quote by Neil Cole. Uh, he's a fellow Christian. He you know, has a heart for church planning, but he writes, listen, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. We have all been enlisted into the Lord's army. So let's go out and do his work and harvest souls for Christ. Amen. There are people out there who are depending upon you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.